Sometimes it's nice to hear about people's journeys in the sports world. We've developed this podcast to host folks who've experienced life through that lens to let them share their stories. So grab your favorite beverage and join us for Stories and Sports in the Coffee Pod. On this episode, we're joined on the phone by Bob Condren, a 1968 graduate of Texas Tech and Mass Communications who spent nearly 30 years serving as the Director of Media Services for the United States Olympic Committee in Colorado Springs. Bob retired from that full-time role but returned to serve as the USA Golf Media Relations Director for the 2016 Rio Games, and that's where we pick up his conversation. Rio was a a beautiful time. It's kind of my last thing in my professional life. Uh, and I wanted to cap it off by, by doing this. Uh, I was the media manager for the sport of golf for the, the Rio Olympic committee. Uh, golf is making its way back into the Olympics, uh, since 1904. So it's, uh, it's been 112 years for the men and 116 for the women. So it's a big moment for the sport very important. I mean, this is a this is a big time for golf to get back in the Olympics. And I wanted to be a part of it. And I wanted to, you know, it was very special to me because I grew up either working at a golf course or playing golf for 60 years. They came after me specifically for the golf because uh, they knew my background in golf. The person that was press chief for the Olympic Games, it's a friend of mine. And, uh, she said, I've got something in mind for you. And uh, I said, what's that? She says, the media manager to the sport of golf. And at that time, I was uh, working at the Pan American Games. I was actually a consultant. She, and she told me about a year in advance, and I said, I just have to do that. You know, it's, it's funny. You, you go, I, I've retired, I was in theory, retired four years ago, but since then I've lived in two countries and, and done things like go to another Olympics and, and, and manage a sport. Uh, so I said, this, this is it. This has got to be, you know, the crowning moment of, of my career. And so I said, i got to do it. And uh, it was tough. You know, at 72 years old, you're not a young whippersnapper. You're, you know, you don't... You don't know what you are, actually, when you get in the glare of the, the spotlight of the Olympic Games. But I wanted to, to try that, and it was an important time in my life and an important time for the sport of golf. And it was one of those things that just turned out to be magic. I mean, the players that were there were ambassadors for the sport. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the coverage early just involved the guys not coming. You know, Jordan Spieth, Jason Bay. But the guys that were there ended up having the greatest time of their lives in the sport. You know, uh, Justin Rose was talking about it. Henrik Stenson from Sweden, Matt Kuchar, uh, all the guys. Ricky Fowler, Bubba Watson lived in the village. Every night they would text uh, Jordan Speed and say, you loser, you should have been here. <laughs> said, we're going to a basketball game tonight. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, so... They took advantage of the opportunity, and uh, you know, just getting to know those guys was was good. And, and, and the women were incredible. The women 
you know, it's funny that w- one of the things that kept people coming in theory was the Zika virus. Well, the women didn't pass up this opportunity at all. 99% of of the women that qualified for this thing went. So, you know, I spent, I lived in, in Brazil for four months, probably the crowning moment of my, my professional career, which started in a classroom at Texas Tech many years ago in advertising class. That's when I first heard of the job at the sports information office, and I ran right over there and, and, and got to work, and that has been my path, you know, from Dr. Billy Ross's advertising class in the old journalism building to the Olympic Games, that was a path that, that took me there, that, that chance happening of, hey, there's something opening in the, in the athletic department. And uh, there was another guy in that class that, that wanted this just as much as I did. And both of us had been drinking coffee and Cokes and whatever all morning and had a severe need to go to the men's room uh, <laughs> right after class. I just thought, hey, this is this is one of those things that comes along once in your life. I'm going to go and worry about bathroom later. Well, he went to the bathroom. I went to the athletic department, and by the time he got there, which is two minutes after I did, I had already got the job and started working. So there's a message in there somewhere about bathroom versus your career path. You know, I'm a big advocate of saying things happen. You hit a crossroads. You got to recognize it, and you got to act on it. You can't withdraw into something that says, "Okay, let, let me look at this." It just strikes you in the heart, and you know that this is a gift coming from above. You better act on it. You better do it because that doesn't come along probably five times in your life. That was a turning point for me. Get, getting that job, starting, and from there, then, then I was hired at a assistant sports information director position at Texas Tech. Then I was then I went to SMU as the sports information director and, and uh, later assistant athletic director. And at that point, I volunteered at a an event uh, at the Olympics uh, called the Olympic Olympic Festival. That was just a national. That was 1981, and it, it was I was at I was at SMU as uh, sports information director and assistant AD, and it's something about the Olympics just struck me, and I said I, I would like to see how this goes, and it just captures your heart being around the Olympic spirit and all, and all the athletes and all the national anthems and the flags and the just the deep meaning of the Olympics. I said, I've I've got to do this. I've got to I've got to get involved in this somehow. Not knowing what that somehow would be. But two years later I was I was offered I was offered a job by the US Olympic Committee and took a half pay cut, a lot of benefits, got my my wife and family to Colorado and, and started out an entry level position after being at a pretty high level actually. Absolutely. And and it was the best move ever. I just I remember that first Olympics was nineteen eighty four Los Angeles and I just I, I couldn't believe it. I said, I am at the Olympic Games. I was with the USOC for just about thirty years. And every day was cool. Every single day. 
I've been one of the lucky guys that says, I love going to work. I love what I do. And that's, that's pretty exceptional. You know, that's not a normal deal. And I knew it. And I just kind of rode that roller coaster all the way through to now. Bob reflected on being at SMU in the 70s and 80s and the lessons that working under the NCAA microscope during a time of infractions had provided to him later in his career. Totally. Absolutely. It's just like a wartime uh, promotion. Uh, you, you learn in battles, and this was, in theory, a, a battle. I learned just hard and fast that the only way to get through something like that, one, is to be totally honest. Totally honest. Do not ever lie or come close to be come close to lying. And work on a solution. You know, fix the problem. Of course, as my position, I clearly couldn't really fix a problem of boosters giving athletes money, but you did everything you could to, to try to, to make it an honorable organization that you work for. So I learned to return phone calls immediately. I learned to be available. I learned to be honest and trustworthy to the media. Uh, sometimes you have to answer good questions, and sometimes you have to answer bad questions. And, and if you're honest, and if you get the trust of the people that come to you, which in my case, with the media and the SME staff and fans and whatever, you know, you've got to live that life to where you don't worry about what you said three days ago. You know, if you're honest every day, you don't have to worry about, hey, do I have to cover this up again, or what do I do? That that hit me. It's, it's the honesty, the integrity, and the follow-up. Uh, you know, you, you've got to put about twice the effort in doing that that you would have if you won every game and there was no problem. Yeah, I was the most available guy in Dallas at that for, for many, many years, 13 years, and... You know, that's radio, that's TV, that's newspapers, that's student publications, massively important to deal with the students. And, and you, you know, you just, you've got to do it. And, and uh, that, you know, to me, that's not a trend now. I see more and more of people not talking to the, to the media, people, you know, just, you, you look at some of the, some of the athletes, the, the way they treat things these days is, through agents and non-comment and walking away from interviews, you know, the Cam Newtons and the, and the Tom Brady's just recently, mm-hmm. you know, rather than trying to you know, just walk away. Well, that, that's not ingrained in, in my spirit. Uh, you're, you're a public person. People care about you. People read your tweets. People care if you complete passes or strike out batters. You know, I, I think there's a there's an obligation there to uh, to not just walk away, is to, to handle it. You handle it professionally and that's one of the things I learned during that particular time, but that that kind of situation has happened to me probably three times where you've had to you've had to be involved in this extremely negative situation, and, and you've just got to come through it as a guy that people can come to and trust. And you know that kind of started it for me, and I've continued it 
all the way up to, to now. In 2013, I got a call from uh, the International Wrestling Federation, the Olympic, Olympic uh, Wrestling. And they said, hey, we, they had just been booted out of the Olympics by the International Olympic Committee. You know, of all things, wrestling, the sport that helped start the Olympic Games back in 776 B.C. was now going to be out. And that's just a total shock to everybody. So they, USA Wrestling had, had made a call to them and recommended that they they need somebody to, to deal with the media. And they called me and said, hey, would you do it? And this was a Friday morning I got this call. And I said, and they said, we want you to come. And this, I said, what will it involve? They said, well, moving to Switzerland, for one thing. I said, when would you need me? And they said, you, you need to be here Monday. So I'm uprooting my life in a day to go to Switzerland and help a sport, you know, get back into, into the Olympic Games, which is the pinnacle of wrestling. So I hit that in the same vein that, that, that I dealt with uh, NCAA probation. You know, honest, return phone calls, be available. So one of the first things that happened to me was the uh, – the president, the new president that came in to replace the other one who was fired immediately, had a had a, an interview with the I, IOC president, uh, Jacques Rogue. And so this was a big chance to, to get started and, uh, you know, him dealing with the media. So we're, I worked with him, and, and we, we talked about the situation and what it was going to involve. And on the way over there, you know, he's 20 minutes from talking to the president, he said, well, I'm not going to be able to uh, talk to the media with the president of the IOC. It was kind of personal. I said, well, then you need to forget about the Olympics. Forget about the Olympics and just, I'll go back to the U.S. I said, because the media are the ones that are going to get you back. I said, it's not going to be anybody else. I said, everything can happen, but the, the media, right now you've got the biggest pity factor than any sport has ever had on anything. And I said, the media is your vehicle. I said, uh, trust me, you can say anything you want to. You don't have to talk about exactly what happened, but, but you can't avoid the media. You say it was a pleasure, da-da-da-da. The media is there wanting to help. And, and it kind of turned his mind, this big Serbian guy who uh, turned out to be the guy that brought him back. But that was the first moment, and, and I helped set him a, a, a mind frame that, hey, the media is part of this. The media is our friends. Sometimes they're not totally, but in the most part they are. So there was a total change in the in the federation from the guy that answered the phone when anybody called to the people dealing with the IOC. You know, it, it turned an attitude around for a sports federation to, hey, we need to depend on other people to get us back, or we better quit worrying about the Olympic Games because you're not going to get back into them. And that was probably the biggest reversal of a mindset that, that I've ever been involved in. That was, was kind of the pinnacle, even even more so than the NCAA probations, which killed a program. This one was killing the the dreams of all those little 10-year-olds 
in the world from Albania and Russia and Iran and the United States and Mexico that were just starting wrestling. Their vision was a gold medal. That was their, their utopia, their Mount Olympus. It wasn't the Super Bowl. It wasn't the Masters. It wasn't the World Series. It was the Olympics. And if wrestling had not been in, that would have been shattered. That whole base of support would have been gone, disappeared. When you're talking to a member of the media, you're not talking to that person. You're talking to everybody else in the world that might read or watch that. It's a direct path that you have to the people that, you know, that appreciate what you do and how you do it. Uh, and I've met very few media in my long career that are not pulling for the athlete to come through. It's a better story. Uh, there, there's not a lot of antagonism between media and who they're covering, for the most part. Get out of politics, maybe, but get into sports. Uh, there's not much. Everybody's pulling for you. So use that audience. You know, if you want to be successful in attracting people to your sport, attracting wealth to your bank account, uh, that's that's the avenue you got to uh, to thank them. And that's the, one of the only ones, unless you want to write a lot of letters. <laughs> the media can do it in one, one fell swoop. That's right. Just a thanks. Uh, so, you know, you got to... Trust them and, and be, you know, let them trust you and, and go for it. You, you don't need to hide. Just, uh, you know, I think that's becoming a trend, and I hope it goes away. Next, Bob talked about having a front row view of the remarkable career of Michael Phelps. Yeah, that, that was special, especially going into Beijing in the 2008 Olympics. We knew that he had the possibility of eight gold medals uh, in one Olympics. And you can't, you got to prepare. We probably prepared for that for a year. And the way, you know, about a year in advance, we we got together with all of his coaches, his family, him, his agent, uh, the people with U.S. Swimming, anybody that had a that had a stick in that pot. We said, okay. You're, you're going to have to get this down in your mind that media is a part of this equation. If this doesn't work well, you're not going to work well. I've seen it ruin athletes that aren't prepared for it. And I said, you, you've got to factor in the media as part of your plan. you got to factor in family as part of your plan. You know, how do you deal with them? Uh, sponsors, you, you got to have a plan. And, and we learned from the coaches that, it was mandatory for him to be take an event, uh, whatever. He's got eight events. It means eight events, eight prelims. So if he swims prelims or if he swims in the final event, coaches say he's got to be back in the water in 14 minutes to, to warm down and, and to get the lactic acid out of his body, or he can't go that long and that hard. He will tire. So we we worked out media plans where he couldn't do everything everybody wanted, but we let the media know when he was going to be available. And he's, he's going to be available for X amount of time after he swims a final event, uh, going through 
the interview process there. And is he going to make two or three stops rather than ten stops? And one of the things we did was put a loudspeaker in his one interview with, with, the, with the press, rather than going down having to talk to, you know, 4,000 guys. He, we just put him on a loudspeaker and got him in a, a bigger place where everybody could hear. Then he, then he got in the water and warmed down and ready for the next day. We didn't waste his time. We didn't waste his coach's time. Because all we had to do was make, make one mistake in that, and Michael Phelps wouldn't have dealt with the media anymore. So we thought this is a guy who can change a sport and an attitude about the country. I mean, Michael Phelps made more fans for the United States than, you know, quite a few people you might list. He he became a sensation, and, and he acted well. He did it well. And we felt like we didn't – like the, the media group, we work with U.S. swimming pretty hard, but we felt like – we had something in there on that one. We we had a part of that play, not the hard training at four in the morning and the weightlifting and whatever. But we made it happen in, in the fact that we didn't waste his time. And and we let we let the story get out. The journalists talked to him, but he was able to deal with the rest of his plan. And he counted on that plan. And his coaches and agents and family Counted on that plan, and uh, you know, I, I think that was part of eight gold medals. I, I don't think it would have been possible if you just throw him in there and let you know the, the media can be chaotic. Wait a minute, he'd also be smooth running and professional. Yeah. And we chose to go that direction, and uh, I, I think that was part of eight gold medals at least in my mind. It's good. Ten-year-olds are swimming now because of Michael Phelps. How many little girls are in gymnastics because Mary Lou Retton right. did a backflip one time in 1984? That you were there uh, for. That story has to get out. I mean, it's it has to it has to be able to get out to the ten year old in Iowa. Absolutely. And uh, and you know, that's that's what makes our long days worthwhile when when things like that happen. I saw Michael Phelps swim. That's why I'm now a gold medal hopeful. Or Mary Lou, or you know, all all those figure skaters, and uh, you know, that's that's what we try to do from the U.S. Olympic Committee standpoint when I was there is to make that story flow internationally. And uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to fire off some questions here. Is that okay? Do it. Yep. All right, so for you personally, and this doesn't even need to be directly sports-related, but it certainly could be, most impressive thing you've ever witnessed in the Olympics, any of the Olympics that you did, and this would be personally witnessed. Wow. I, I've just got a handful. I mean, I've got, I've got more than a handful. I've got, you know, I've got... I'm an opening ceremonies freak. I love love what the opening ceremonies does for the Olympics, mm-hmm. and and I've I've seen some that just take your breath away. I, I think the, in Norway when uh, a ski jumper brought the flame and the ski jump, and the guy that's supposed to do it got hurt the day before, and so they had to get another guy to come down that jump with the flame 
And, you know, normal ski jumpers don't have a 20-pound torch in their hand when they come down. So you didn't know if this guy was going to light up the sky with setting himself on fire <laughs> or what. And, and so he comes down, and the world is watching, and he just tips it beautifully. And that lights the torch. And another time, opening ceremonies, and I'll get into other events, but we're sitting in Barcelona in 1992 at opening ceremonies, and our seats are on the first row, which basically means you can't see anything. So the, the lights go out to start these things, and then a guy comes, stands right in front of us, and says, now not only do we have weird seats, but there's a guy in front of us. And, and all of a sudden, boom, the sky just lights up, and there's this flame. And it's the archer that shoots the arrow. He was standing about four feet from us. Wow. And he uh, he shot that arrow into the torch, clear across the stadium, on top of the stadium, to start the 92 Olympics. You know, if it doesn't get any better than that, no. I don't know what it is. But, it, you know, if, if I look back on athletes, I think of Phelps for one. I mean, for what he did and the way he went about it. I think of Sean White, the flying tomato. Yeah. That that guy is one of the coolest guys I've ever been around. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's in snowboard. He's in a sport that's brand new and for the young kids. He was incredible. He, he was the funniest, most natural talker I think I've ever been around. He, he would go, he'd talk to anybody, media-wise, athletes, uh, Apollo Ono uh, did that. He, he came back and, and won medals. He went back to the lunchroom at the Olympic Training Center and, and thanked the lunchroom women <laughs> and, uh, you know, let them touch his gold medals and like many medals. Uh, Bonnie Blair, a speed skater. Dan Jansen, a speed skater. Uh-huh. I mean, those guys just stand, stand out. And, and I guess one of my proudest moments was, was at golf in the, in the Rio games when uh, I moderated a press conference, the winner's press conference, uh, Justin Rose, Henrik Stenson, and Matt Kuchar. And just the class those guys had. Uh, you, you just thought, boy, that, that's, that's what it's all about, uh, is to hear them talk about their passion about what the Olympics meant to them because they didn't make a cent. They didn't make a penny. Mm. They could travel on their own, get all this, you know, mess some tournaments, and and just how happy they were. Just the joy in that press conference. And then that that whole thing with, with, the, with the, the golfers at the Olympics, that, that was, you know, one of the highlights of my life. Right. You know, not just the Olympics. You know, and you... Uh... You mentioned the class with Henrik Stenson and Justin Rose and those guys, and that's actually particularly relevant to just a few weeks ago. Did you have a chance to watch the Ryder Cup? Oh yes, yeah. You know their story. They were talking about the the story I'm referring to with uh, they had a heckler. It was in good fun, but it was just this heckler from the United States that uh, was right. about putting, kind of giving them crap about that, and they just they had him yep. come behind the line, and they said, "Well, you sink it then." And uh, I think it was Justin Rose that put down a hundred dollars, 
and uh, the guy ended mm -hmm. up sinking it, and he made him take the one hundred dollars, and it was just kind of a fun time for everyone. That was cool. I don't like heckling, but that turned out funny. Yeah, and I do want to. I do want to clarify that. Yeah, like the heckling, it seemed a little bit more in good fun as opposed to he wasn't actually berating them. There weren't personal attacks, but it just kind of like, kind of giving them giving them uh, some crap for uh, not making the putts in their practices, which is kind of <laughs> ridiculous. These guys are yeah. the best in the world, but yeah. uh, they're also well, the, the golf golf has such incredible young stars in it now. Jason Day, Ricky Fowler, McElroy, those guys are the best, and they're the best that I've been around in dealing with the media or dealing with anything. They just do it simple, don't make a big deal out of it, and uh, they're really quality individuals, which you know, you're going to see over a period of time, but uh, Goth has got a great generation of young ambassadors now. I would totally agree. You know, I'm not sure if you're too familiar with Snapchat, but... I only follow one celebrity on Snapchat, and it's actually Ricky Fowler. Uh, he's very active on it. And, you know, he was doing the whole Snapchat thing during the Olympics, and I could tell he was having a blast. It looked really fun from oh. his perspective. Yeah, him and Bubba just had, had a blast. They just they went everywhere. They went every event. They lived in the village. They, you mm -hmm. know, which is, you know, not the greatest sleeping and living experience you can have, but it's like magic. It was and they loved it. They loved every moment, both of those guys. They're, they're U.S. ambassadors, and they're quality people. Absolutely. Okay, so moving on with the questions. Now, uh, this one may be a hard one for you to answer. You can absolutely give more than just one, but just kind of curiously, who do you think is the most impressive athlete that you've seen at the Olympics? Now, that doesn't also need to be athletically but it could also just be kind of as a person or maybe even athletically or a combination of the two well i think i think i'd have to list a few because i put greg Luganus up there mm -hmm. just the quiet way he went about things and how excellent he was and and you know he's going through a lot of personal personal deep personal problems uh, i think I think he's a, just an amazing person. Uh, Phelps, for what he stood for. I think Mary Lou Retton captured the world. Little little girl from Morgantown, West Virginia, mm -hmm. comes in and changed gymnastics in the U.S. And the way she went about it, and just the bubbly, bubbly person that she was, uh, Dan Jansen talks about stumbling and failure and then rising in, in, the, in the moment, you know. In 1988 Olympics, he, he was odds-on favorite for two gold medals in speed skatings in, in, uh, in Calgary. And I think it was either the night before or two nights before he was to have his first race. His sister died. Right. And it was just just this whirlwind of emotion, and he went out and he ended up stumbling, and he he he, he didn't do anything that that first Olympics, and and then it goes to '92, same thing happened. Uh, and then luckily for him, the Winter Olympics didn't went to a two-year cycle, so '92 was was one, and then the the, the 
other cycle started in 1994 in Norway. So in his final race, uh, Dan Jansen won the uh, thousand. He finally got his gold medal after after two two and a half Olympics in, in failure. You know, at, at crucial moments, and I saw that comeback and the joy that that spread. And that just is a lesson to keep going. <laughs> Do not give up. And Dan did not. He, he was, you know, he was the happiness factor of the 1994 Olympics. I, I, one thing I'm leaving out here is, is the dream team. Mm, right. uh, that that was like nothing I've ever been around. Uh, it was like the Rolling Stones coming into the Olympic Games. Uh, and, and it was... They were world famous. It happened in 1992 in Barcelona, mm-hmm. and just the just the absolute. It was just a fever pitch of excitement. Those guys coming in the best, probably the best basketball team ever assembled on this planet. Uh, those guys and, uh, and and just what they did for the sport and and how they how they went about it, it and it just paved the way for guys like. Which was an, another story that surprised me was the um, in 2008 was Kobe Bryant. I, I had mixed feelings about Kobe Bryant. I didn't know. I, I did not know what kind of guy he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up being the, the best Olympian I've been around in a long time. He he uh, he was the first guy on the bus. The first guy out to practice, last guy to leave. The guy, I saw him do three interviews in a row in three different languages. Yeah. You know, English, Italian, and Spanish. I had no idea he could speak Italian and Spanish, but he lived in Italy mm-hmm. uh, with his dad. His dad played ball in Italy. He, he was he was the guy that impressed me as much as any Olympian in any games that I've been at. So just to see that, it changed my mind. I, I didn't really have an idea who he was, but I do now. In my way of thinking, he, he's a total all-star. Yeah. You know, and I, I've, I've actually heard that before, that in terms of work ethic, Kobe Bryant and probably alongside Michael Jordan are fairly unparalleled. Yeah. Like, they're just always just there. the effort the that any, any Olympian puts in, you know, my office was at the Olympic Training Center for 12 years, so every day I got to walk out and see these guys that were total unknown that in two years were going to be gold medalists. Mm. And, and just the work ethic that they put in, it was like a university of all Americans uh, that just had sports. They had no classes, but, I mean, every day they were after eight hours working and, uh, and just made He'd be a better person. It made the guy that's more the grass a better grass mower. Just to see these guys, the lunchroom ladies, the guy that does the computers. It just I've, I've seen it do for 500 people that are working, made everybody there better just watching these athletes. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think in my life, and my, my kids got to see them, uh, you know, they, they would come – you know, be ball boys at basketball games there, and uh, 
And I think it helped him. Just set a goal, stick to it, and uh, and, and be somebody that you can. Uh now, along those lines, were there any, like, behind-the-scenes hidden gems that stood out to you that, that you remember from dealing with the Olympics? Like, something like that just is one of those stories that never really got mentioned but was of particular note to you? That requires some thought. Because it had happened. It happened all the time. Uh, was the 96 Atlanta uh, Olympics with the bombing and... More specifically, the accusation that Richard Jewell, the security guard, had somehow mm-hmm. been involved in that. Yeah, that happened just below our office. It was at, at, uh, at the park, and our office actually overlooked that. And my wife and I had been walking around that area 30 minutes before it happened and then came back in. And uh, But the, the it was like... a. Cold water was thrown over everything, mm-hmm. and uh, and and the Richard Jewell thing was, you know, this this poor guy, he, he he didn't do it, but he was cast in that light, and I think it went on NBC, and I think Tom Brokaw actually said the name. I think that's how it broke, but boy, this, that was a sad moment. That that was a downer. Absolutely. That was an absolute downer as far as it can get down. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the right guy was finally caught, but, you know, to watch the day after that happened, the morning after it started raining, and, and you could look over that park, and it was just vacated. The, the, the night before, little kids were playing in the sprinklers, and brilliant night, the lights, everything was working beautiful, and bam, it just shut down all of a sudden quite the contrast i would imagine so lastly i'd love to finish up kind of our podcast here for your advice to anyone pursuing a career like yours and to be quite honest this is very pertainable to me as well because i thought uh sids always had a fascinating job and something i've been minorly attracted to at the very least sure i would i would give a couple of things one you're not gonna know what you want to do for a long time I mean, unless you're an amazing exception. Uh, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do until it just came upon me. Uh, but there's going to be a point in time that you say, wow, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And I will tell you this. Keep that at the north point of your compass. Keep it in mind that, okay, I'm not going to do it tomorrow. But I'm going to do things that get me ready for it. I'm going to learn things. I'm going to learn a craft. I, I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to be an intern that will help me get there. I'm going to learn things that, that's going to be appropriate for me to get in there. You know, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Like the guy not going to catch a fish unless it's hook is in the water, and he's got a worm on it. So you've got to do things to get ready. That's, that's, that's the first thing. Keep your ship pointed north, and that north is what you want. Don't settle. Don't settle. Uh, keep going. Take chances. And, and even, even something is like an internship. Don't settle. Pick out 
where you want to go. I don't care if they don't pay you anything. You got to pay your own, your own expenses. If you do it with the Los Angeles Dodgers, or the Philadelphia Eagles, or the Dallas Cowboys, or by the U.S. Olympic Committee, that that is that is something that will determine your life. So make every choice you got count, and be ready for things. And you know, I mentioned it before. You're going to hit crossroads. And you and your gut are going to know that, man, this is a crossroad. What am I going to do? Am I going to sit back and think about it for a week or or not go to the bathroom and run across campus like <laughs> and check him with his head cut off? Uh, you know, you, you've got to take advantage. You've got to call people back. And be prepared, like the Boy Scout motto, be prepared. Be prepared in the interview. Be prepared with the letter that you write. Make it stand out. Make your resume magic. And if it's not magic, well, then start making it magic by doing volunteer work. Uh, you know, you got to prepare your life. You, you can't just ghost around and hope like heck everything works out. Because it doesn't, unless you're extremely lucky. But, but if you want a job that when you're 72 like me and you say, man, that was a great run. Well, I busted ass to, to get it to make it happen. I did it in class. I I did it in my first job. I didn't make your mistakes. You're going to screw up. You're going to have a couple of just gigantic screw ups in your life. Well, you know I messed that one up. Hey, maybe I get the next one. Yeah. You know, pull off that horse, get back on it. There you and, go. Uh, don't blame others. Just ah, whatever. I, I, I think you can make a good life for yourself. <laughs> well, you're obviously welcome back here anytime. We, I mean, it, it's a privilege to have you come on with us in this podcast to take the time out and, and obviously to come back here physically to campus and pay us a visit. We love having you around, and your life experiences are, are fairly unmatched, to be quite honest. So we really appreciate this, Bob. Thank you so much again for taking the time to talk with us, and, and I'm really looking forward to uh, corresponding with you in the future. Great. Thank you much. My pleasure. All righty. You have a good one.